I don't know how many of you stay up late and watch Jimmy Kimmel. Does anyone stay up late and watch Jimmy Kimmel? Few of you do. He's up past my bedtime. I don't know what you're doing up that late, but he's on way past my bedtime. But I often catch clips from the Jimmy Kimmel show the next day on the internet. And one of my favorite things that Jimmy Kimmel does is he gets his gets his audience, he gets his viewers to play pranks on their kids. I don't know if any of you have ever pranked your kid with Jimmy Kimmel. Some of you look like you might try doing something like this. But one of my favorite pranks, I think he does it just about every year, is the day after Halloween. The day after Halloween, he, uh, he tells the parents to videotape their kids when they come downstairs or come out and tell the kids that they have eaten all of their Halloween candy. That in the middle of the night, the parents got hungry and we, we accidentally ate all your Halloween candy and, uh, and just tape the reaction of the kids. And those are always hilarious. Uh, another one that he does is he, he asks the parents to get their kids one really just bad Christmas present and videotape them opening a present that they didn't want, hoping to get a funny reaction as the kid is disappointed or upset. One of my favorite ones is when a family wrapped up a banana and gave it to their son as a, as a gift. I don't think they were expecting this reaction, but you're going to see this reaction up here. Isn't that great? I love that kid's reaction. He gives them high fives for a banana. Uh, if I could get that out of my kids, it'd save me a lot of, a lot of money come Christmas. Uh, I, I love, he loves his gift, but you know, that's not really the point. It's not about him loving the gift. I think it's about him loving the giver. He loves the one who gave him that gift. He doesn't know why he's getting a banana. I'm not even sure he wanted a banana. Uh, I, I'm positive he never asked for a banana as a gift, uh, but when he got it, he received it with joy. And the reason has to be that he loves the one who gave him that banana. Well, this final chapter of I Am a Church Member is titled, I Will Treasure Church Membership as a Gift. And I wonder how often we've ever considered church membership to be a gift. And we talk a lot about the gifts that God gives us. We talk about salvation as a gift. It's a free gift. We didn't earn it. We talk about the Holy Spirit as a gift. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse, verse 32, excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 tells us, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive. That's what Melissa did last week. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We even talk about spiritual gifts, but do we consider church membership a gift? I think at times we think of the church as kind of an afterthought or the church is kind of a hassle. I think sometimes we think of church as something we're stuck with or we're saddled with. Well, I guess if I, I, guess if I want to be saved, I, I guess I've got to go to church also. And, and it seems like less of a gift than a consolation prize. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's like those party gifts. Remember on the old gay shows, when someone would lose, they would always have a consolation prize. They'd always have a party gift for them because they lost. And 
It was always rice aroni. I don't know why, but rice aroni, the San Francisco treat, was always the consolation prize. And very often they would get the home version of the game that they had just lost on national TV. So they could go back home to their family and play this game and be reminded of what kind of a loser they are as they sit and eat their rice aroni with their family. But just like salvation, just like the hope that we have, just like the peace that we have, church membership is a gift. That's exactly what Tom Rainer writes on page 72. He says, church membership is a gift. A gift must be treasured. It should not be taken for granted or considered lightly. Because it is a gift, we must always be thankful for it. And when we are thankful for something, we have less time and energy to be negative. That's something we realize about all gifts. And it's one we need to realize about the church as well. Gifts say much about the heart of the giver. Now in the text that Cindy read for us today, we have a story of a mother who made a request for her two sons. Matthew tells us that she is the mother of the sons of Zebedee, and we know that those are the apostles James and John. Her name is Salome. She appears again in chapter 27 as she's one of the women who are standing off at a distance, a considerable, considerable distance, watching Jesus die as he's crucified. But here, she comes to Jesus. She comes to Jesus boldly, perhaps because her sons aren't bold enough, and she requests a gift. But you know, that's not how gifts work. And in verse 23, Jesus says to, to her sons, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. The positions she was requesting for her sons, positions of power, positions of, of influence to be at Jesus' right and left, uh, was not for Jesus to give. It was for those for whom they had been prepared by the Father. Now, we might read that with some confusion. We might read that with some questions and say, well, it isn't Jesus God. I mean, how exactly does this work? Doesn't he have that kind of authority? But let's read it with the heart that's behind it. And an amazing truth. Your heavenly Father has prepared a place for you. And we, we think of that sometimes in terms of heaven. We talk about how God's prepared a place for us in heaven, but he's prepared a place for you right here, a place for you to serve. That means he knows your heart. That means he knows your value. That means he knows your talent. He has a place for you to be useful, a place for you to serve, a place for you to be loved. When we started this series, Tom, Tom Rayner asked us to consider the difference between church membership and country club membership. You join a country club to be served. You join a country club to have privilege. You, you want to play on their golf course or you want to use their facilities. You're there for the perks, but you join a church to serve, to be part of the team. And you hear that difference in the way Jesus addresses the disciples here. The, the other ten heard what John and James's mother had done, and they were indignant. I think they were indignant because they hadn't thought of it first. They really should have thought to go have their mommies ask Jesus to give them positions of power and influence. But Jesus responds to them all in verse 25. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Not so with you. 
those rules that apply to country club membership, those rules that apply to the way our world sees power, that's not part of our lives. That's not what God has gifted us with. That's not what he wants for us. Instead, what Jesus is showing us here and what we've seen in the book is that gifts are meant to be received and responded to. Not so with you, Jesus says. You don't get this gift so you can lord it over others. You don't get this gift so you can say, look what I got, look what I deserve, look what I earned. Everything the world tells you about your worthiness does not apply here. And as you read through the book, Tom Rainer explains that this gift requires us to change our perspective. Now, I have to confess, I, that's a problem. That's an issue with us. And, and I have to confess that I think preachers are one of the biggest problems when it comes to this. I don't think we've communicated this correctly. I don't think we've understood correctly how gifts work in the New Testament. We've always told you, salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it. You can't pay it back. But what we've missed is, is the understanding of how gifts worked in the New Testament and in New Testament times. They believed it wasn't really a gift until you did something for the one who had given it to you. They believed it wasn't really a gift until you received it and then responded to it. And if you didn't give back to the one who had given you the gift, then that was the same as rejecting the gift. That makes a lot of sense when we go back to Ephesians chapter 2 again. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. This is a gift. You didn't earn it. But then Paul immediately turns around and says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us. You hear Jesus say in this passage in verse 26, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. To receive a gift, you have to respond to the gift. Now that's not legalism. That's just how you say thank you to a gift that you've been given. And I could tell you about people who have done that here in some very special ways. I can tell you about a, a conversation I had with, with Don Lucas one day. And Don said, I, I need to talk to you. And he came to see me. And I thought, oh no, Don needs to talk to me. What's this going to be about? And Don's question was, I'm a member here. What can I do? How can I serve? That was, that was one of Don's first questions. What do you need done? I, I can tell you about a family in the church uh, that came to me and said, here's something that, that we think we could do. And is anyone doing that right now? And I said, no, nobody's doing that. Well, well can we do it? And I said, absolutely. You can be part of that. You can, you can take that. That can be your ministry. Those kind of conversations are rare. But when they come, they, they absolutely amaze me and they shock me and they bless our entire church. Tom Rainer wrote on page 69, Membership means we have an opportunity to serve and to give rather than a legalistic option to do so. No one's forcing you to be here. No one's forcing you to serve here. Rather, that's how you respond to the gift that you've received. It's that realization that God has done so much for you. How can you not give back? There's no other way to respond but to give our lives in grateful service. See, we respond to God's gift with gratitude. That's what our service is. It's not an obligation. It's not a duty. It's gratitude. 
But what gift do you give to the God who has everything? You, you give him yourself. And you hear that in Jesus' final words in this passage in verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What other response can there be but to respond with gratitude for his gift and to give our lives in service to him, to the body of Christ, to the church? And again, Jesus rightly says in, in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. Attitudes that apply outside the church do not apply here. It shall not be so among you. Outside the church, the attitude is what is in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? What am I going to gain? How am I going to be taken care of? How am I going to be fed? How am I going to be served? But when we come to the church, it's not about what am I going to get out of it. Rather, it's let me put something into it that others will get out of it. It's not about self-serving. It's about community serving. It's about growing in ways that ensure that we're all growing together. And again, that's exactly what Jesus models for his church. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's exactly why for years we've gone back again and again to those three little words that we've been repeating over and over again, gather, grow, and serve. When we make those three words what we are about, when we make those three words what Kansas Christian Church is about, when someone says, what do you do at Kansas Christian Church? We gather, we grow, and we serve, then we'll understand the church. We'll understand why it's a gift, why it's a gift that we treasure, and we'll make sure it's a gift that others treasure also. Tom Rayner writes on page 74, when we see life, salvation, and church membership as gifts, our whole perspective changes. We don't have any sense of entitlement or expectation. To the contrary, we want to be last and receive the least because that's the way Jesus did it. And we want to be more like him. And he continues on page 75. Church membership is a gift, a joyous gift. Treat it as such. Monday and Tuesday, I was in Lincoln for the Midwest Ministers Retreat. And while I was there... I was reminded of one of my old professors, uh, uh, Brother Charles Mills. He was one of our professors, one of the founders of, uh, of Lincoln, well, LBI, Lincoln Bible Institute, then Lincoln Christian College, and now Lincoln Christian University. And I was reminded that, that Brother Mills would start his classes, especially his freshman classes, with students just coming in, just getting started in ministry, just feeling that commitment to ministry. He would begin those classes with these words, I love the church. I love the church. That was his anthem. That was, that was his focus. And he would begin each lecture with those words. Then he would continue on with scripture. He would continue on with his teaching. He would continue on with stories. He would continue on with prayers. But he always emphasized, I love the church. Now, the amazing thing about that was that Brother Mills had seen the church at its absolute worst. He had seen the church with, with splits. He had been through troubles. He had been through arguments. He had been through people who just up and walked out. But despite all those troubles, despite all of those trials, his constant theme was, I love the church. And if there was one thing he wanted his students to see, it was that love. You know, when people ask us about our church, there are a lot of things we could say. 
There's a lot of things you could tell them. If someone asks you about Kansas Christian Church, there's a lot of things you could say. You could say, ugh, you won't believe what our preacher did this week. You know, he could start He could start almost every week that way, every conversation. Ugh, you won't believe what he said. You won't believe what he did. You could say, ugh. We couldn't get hardly anyone at all to volunteer for VBS this year. We, we had all these kids running around. We didn't have enough adults. Ugh. You could say, ugh, we can't get people to stop sitting on the back rows. I don't know what it is. They just love the back rows. And, and we could say all those things. Or we could remember that Jesus Christ died for the church. Jesus Christ died for the church. He gave his life for us. We could remember that he finds us beautiful. In fact, he finds us so beautiful that he calls us his bride, and we are his pride and joy. And when people ask us about our church, we could say, let me tell you about Kansas Christian Church. Let me tell you about the church. I love the church. And the church loves you. I have a letter I've been asked to, to read to you today, and as I was working on my message this week, uh, and what this series, and, and wrapping up this series on what it means to be a church member, I, I thought there was no better opportunity to read this letter than right now. It's a letter from Paul and Joy. Paul writes, Joy and I wish to thank the entire church for their care over these past 13 months. When we came home from Georgia, I felt changes, not noticeable to anyone but Joy and me. The big one was quite a loss of lung capacity. And at my last infusion two weeks ago, I asked Dr. Shakir to move up my mid-November CT scan to today. That was Tuesday when he wrote this letter. We were prepared for anything. We were hoping that it was just a nagging drug interaction. But it was the cancer, developing fairly quickly now. Our faith has never weakened or wavered. It is just as strong as the first time we went to the front of the church to witness our faith and ask for that faith to remain and grow in addition to a divine healing, of course. No one has survived mesothelioma or been cured by man. We believe everyone here has asked us at least once how we were doing. That was appreciated. But once again, it is that group that has experienced early in life cancer deaths, your concern, watch care, personal messages have overwhelmed us, and at some point we thought that those from the heart messages would get fewer, but from this group they've only continued. Thank you so much. And here's what Paul and Joy want. We wish to be examples for everyone else. That is our church job now. I love that sentence. As I have often said, the old biggies that I used to have aren't there now. The old things that we used to get all worked up about, those just aren't there anymore. Keeping and growing our faith is first, followed by being the best parents to our sons and grandchildren. And lastly, we want you to remember us when your road gets rough. Please do not give up on your faith or let it weaken. God does not owe me or any of you a thing. Grow that faith and be an encourager. We are still overwhelmed with blessings. Love, Paul, and joy. You give him a little love right now. You, your hands don't work that way. But you know, that's, that's all of you. That is you being the church. That is you 
being the church. That is you doing what the church is meant to do. You're carrying each other's burdens. You're bringing comfort with the comfort that you've received. And I have so appreciated Paul enjoys transparency and their willingness to be open, their willingness to share this experience, this, this journey, if I can say journey, uh, with us and to, to grow in this with all of us. And you, you have been such a blessing, but you are all such a blessing, all of you, in, in the way you continue to care and in the way you continue to walk with them through this valley. Uh, thank you so much for the way you're every day being the church for Paul and Joy and for so many others. Let's stand together as I pray. Father, your love is, is overwhelming. We see your love in the cross. We sang of your love today. We came to the table as a reminder of your love. But Father, you, you love the church. And, and as we come together, as we serve together, as we care for one another, as we put others before us, uh, we have an opportunity to show you uh, that kind of love, to show your church the kind of love that, that Jesus showed as he laid his life down for the church. Father, our, our prayers are for Paul and Joy today. Lord, you have blessed them with a, a wonderful family. You have blessed them with wonderful experiences. You have blessed them with amazing faith and, and even more amazing grace. And you have blessed us with them. I thank you for their openness to, to show us how to live with this kind of diagnosis and how to continue to do faith and how to continue to find their strength in you. Lord, help us. Help us to comfort them. Help us to bring them peace. Help us to remind them of the, the joy that they have in you. Father, we thank you so much that in, in your church, no one suffers alone, but that we all know your presence. And, and we know that through the way, uh, the way we each love one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace and do some loving over here.